Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, and experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. Hello, dear listener. Welcome back to the Something Scary Podcast. Your home for the scariest stories from around the world. I'm Blair Bathory, here to guide you through the darkness every week. After the holidays, Some of us are happy to have a break from family. We may even enjoy some time all alone in the middle of nowhere. And while some find comfort in the solitude, it can also be terrifying. The middle of nowhere is where the outcasts lurk, unsettled spirits roam, and being stuck with our own thoughts may drive us insane. First, a cautionary tale followed by something sinister in the house. Then, the darkness is calling. Finally, in our featured story, beware of angering the GDs. So, wanna hear something scary? What lurks in the void? Humans have always told stories to entertain and sometimes warn of dangers. Urban legends often carry a warning, as in this retelling inspired by the popular story, The Boyfriend's Death, written by Janine Pipe. Emily smiled as she looked out of the car window. It was the oldest trick in the book, Take your date home the long way through the woods and mysteriously run out of gas. Pull over and pass the time, waiting for a tow by making out. Bonus points were awarded as she was new in town and didn't really know where they were either. She gave Dustin a sideways glance, and sure enough, he was frowning at the fuel gauge, a look of faux surprise etched on his handsome face. The car started to sputter, and like clockwork, he pulled over, and there they were, stranded on a woody road in the dark and all alone, totally in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Dustin looked over at her apologetically, and she started to laugh. (laughs) I think I know your game, mister. After a short time, it started to rain, And without the engine to keep them warm, Emily got cold. Dustin admitted it had indeed been a ruse to get some alone time with her, and that he'd planned it so he could walk to the gas station and back in under an hour. 
he zipped up his windbreaker and pulled a rug out of the trunk. Stay here and stay warm. I'll be quick. He checked the clock on the dash. It's just after midnight. I'll be back before 1 a.m. Just don't get out of the car, no matter what. Emily rolled her eyes and waved him goodbye. How dramatic. Of course she wasn't going to get out of the car. The rain would ruin her new perm. She lamented not putting her Walkman in her purse since she couldn't listen to the radio. Instead, she decided to close her eyes for a bit and rest while she waited. She woke up feeling groggy. Her neck was sore from her head having slumped forward in her sleep. She was disoriented for a moment before remembering she was in Dustin's car, waiting for him to return with some gas. She checked the clock on the dash and didn't like what she saw. It was a little after 3 a.m. He should have been back two hours ago. She was about to open the car door when she heard his voice in her mind. Don't get out of the car. Coupled with this strange noise that she now noticed, it almost sounded like something was tapping on the roof of the car. At first, she thought it was still raining, but she realized she could see clearly through the windshield, although that lay ahead was a vast expanse of darkness, the illumination from the crescent moon barely enough to see her hand in front of her face. She reasoned the only sensible thing to do, since she had no coat, no flashlight, and indeed no idea where she even was, was to just wait until sunrise. Another car was bound to come along and she could flag it down. And hopefully, Dustin would reappear way before that anyway. Somehow, she was able to doze off again. And this time when she woke, there really was a tapping. Only this time it was a cop knocking on her window. She opened the door and the cop pulled her out carefully, immediately wrapping her in a foil blanket and pulling her away from the car. Are you okay, miss? Now listen very carefully. Keep following me over to the nice EMT and whatever you do, do not look back. Okay, miss? Emily nodded, frightened by the sight of the cops and the ambulance wondering where the hell was Dustin. Dustin! Instinctively, unable to help herself despite the cop's warning, she turned back to the car. No! She screamed, falling to her knees. Now she knew what had been making the dripping noise onto the roof of the car. It hadn't been rain. It was blood. Blood dripping from Dustin's severed head, which was impaled on a low-hanging branch directly above the car. As the cop dragged her over to the EMTs, he listened to his radio. Dispatch were calling officers back to base to assist for the search for a missing convicted serial killer with a penchant for decapitation who'd escaped the asylum behind those very woods. Now he could tell them he had a damn good idea where their suspect had been. Poor Dustin had simply chosen the wrong place to pretend to break down that evening and had paid the price with his life. Have you ever broken down in a car in the middle of nowhere? Did you stay with the car? Or were you the one who had to go get help? 
What would you have done if you saw or heard something strange outside? Just because you like to be alone doesn't mean that spirits or ghosts will respect your wishes. Like in this story inspired by Shantae M. Something happened when I was 13 years old. The memory is embedded so deeply in my brain, it feels like yesterday. I was a very antisocial child, preferring to be holed up in my bedroom alone rather than some forced social event. So when my family moved at the beginning of January to a newly developed area with many more kids, I was pissed off. We were staying in an old rented house while our brand new one was being finished. I hated it and the new area too. But a little while after we moved into the house, I discovered a new favorite spot, the basement. It was my little hideaway. I commandeered the entire space because it was made to feel like I was in the middle of nowhere. My mother hated it when I was down there. She would always ask me, what do you find so intriguing about a creepy, unfinished, dark basement? It was the silence I liked the most. It was mostly open, minus the little corners and the one very dark area underneath the staircase. In the very narrow hallway to get to the center of the basement, I would listen to music and dance But soon enough, it became more than that. Every time I'd walk down the opening, I began to feel like something was behind me, almost as if it was dancing with me. But whenever I looked back, nothing was there. Suddenly, for the first time in a month, I had been living in that house with frequent visits to the basement. I no longer felt alone. There was a presence with me, although I didn't want it to be seen. I'd take a deep inhale, then it would be gone. Don't be a scaredy cat, I'd tell myself, but my gut knew there was someone or something there. After telling me dozens of times to stop tracking dust from the basement all over the house, my mother finally banned me from going down there. That same night, the strangest thing happened. I had a dream, but it felt so real as if the thing from downstairs had made its way up to my room that I shared with my little sister. I lay there as something stood in the corner. I couldn't move or speak. All I could do was groan and struggle as if I was trapped, destined to just stare at the thing in the corner. I was fixated on it when I began to hear my mother's voice. Finally, I woke up to find my mother actually shouting, She isn't breathing! She isn't breathing. I looked at my little sister in shock. Her lips had turned blue. Her eyes were fixed in a dead stare on the same corner as mine that I was having in my dream. After performing CPR, my dad got her to breathe again. They took her directly to the hospital. After running tons of tests, the doctors couldn't find anything wrong. She appeared to be 100% healthy. They said to come back if it happened again as it may have been a seizure. I didn't believe that. Our cousin had seizures. I've seen them a couple of times. This was different. She had no movement. She was just staring the way I was in my dream. 
her pupils dilated and lips blue. The next day, when I came home from school, I took my mom's place sitting by my sister's side in our bedroom. She was going to run out to pick up my Nana from the train station. She informed me that her friend Jen was coming over to store some things in the basement. Shortly after she left, I noticed every single noise the house was making. For the first time, it started to scare me. My breath quickened as I heard the front doorknob begin to twist open. Hello? I shouted. Nothing. I started to panic. Then I heard. Kira, I'm here. It was Jin. Thank goodness. I relaxed and just watched my sister. A short time later, I heard Jin leave and then my mom returned home with our Nana. When I went downstairs, she abruptly asked me if I'd left my sister and gone into the basement. No, I said, annoyed. My mother looked at me. You're lying. Jen just called me to say she dropped off the stuff and she let me know you gave her quite the scare. Lurking around in the dark corners, making noises. It isn't funny. I looked at my mother with wide eyes. It wasn't me. I was with my sister the entire time. And if I wasn't in the basement with her, my Nana spoke. You were in that basement for too long. You invited it into the house. She told me not to look so surprised. My parents had told her everything that was going on. That's why she was there, to observe and to help keep us safe. She said spirits don't like being all alone. With me always down in the basement, whatever was there attached itself to me. It didn't like that I stopped visiting. My mother immediately began to protest, saying what happened to my sister wasn't her fault, or mine for that matter, and she proclaimed there is no such thing as spirits. Then why did you make Nana come? I asked smartly. My mother stormed off. Nana kept watch over us while we slept and prayed on her rosary beads during the day. She was with us for two more weeks until our new house was finally ready. We moved out and never set foot in that place ever again. My sister was fine and never experienced an episode after we left. My dreams stopped. We were able to get on with our lives. But every so often, still to this day, when I'm dancing alone in my room, I feel the presence of someone dancing with me. Have you ever felt like you were not alone? Was it comforting or unsettling? Was it maybe supernatural? Did you feel like you were in danger? If you've had an experience like this, send us your story at somethingscary@snarled.com. Sometimes we're called to something greater, bigger than ourselves. Sometimes that can be very dangerous. Like in this story inspired by Allison. About a year and a half ago, my husband, Mark, got into his head that we needed a house. It's the American dream, right? Get married, get a house, have kids, then buy a minivan to top it off. 
I wasn't so sure I wanted all of that. But I did feel as though my true purpose was right around the bend. I'd figure it out eventually, but in the meantime, Mark and I started looking for houses. Everything that I thought I knew about myself changed the moment we rolled up the gravel driveway. There, in front of us, was a stunning white Victorian farmhouse just outside of Marlette, Michigan. It was in the middle of nowhere and it stood there like a rock jutting out of the cornfields. It felt like it had been hours from the moment its foundation had been laid so many years ago. It was as if it was calling to me. Mark didn't seem to feel the same way. He thought it was overpriced and too far away from civilization. He grumbled with his hands placed firmly on his hips, but I was sure I could convince him otherwise. I know it's a fixer-upper. Yes, it's more than what we wanted to spend, but it's more space than we ever imagined. The words rolled off my tongue as if I repeated every key phrase and buzzword my husband had recited in our furious quest for a new home. And you were the one who said you wanted to be further out from the city, I stated. I didn't mean this far out, he snapped at me. We need to put down roots, remember? I smiled as I caught his eye, knowing he could hear himself in my words. I expertly mixed sweetness and reason in my voice. I felt compelled. I felt drawn. There was something there, something that called my name and wrapped its fingers around my soul, tugging me further into the depths of that house. Mark shifted uncomfortably and took in a deep breath. Doesn't this place feel a little creepy? Seems like something straight out of a gothic novel, he said. I told him to just think about it while I took another look around. I kissed him on the cheek and then left him with the realtor in the kitchen. The hallway twisted towards the front door leading to a great expanse. It pulsed and breathed in and out. I knew my future, my purpose was in this house somewhere. All around me, maybe. It was as if I entered the most vivid dream as a feeling of wonder and weightlessness washed over me. I could see my hands before me and the scenery all around, yet my focus remained on the one undeniable urge to find and embrace what silently cried out my name and drew me closer. As I stepped out onto the wooden porch, my body felt electric with anticipation. I wandered around the porch and down into the overgrown yard. This place had gone long unattended. The weeds were up to my thighs, but I didn't mind. Instead, I continued to amble through the yard, brushing the wildflowers and reeds with my fingertips. I was being pulled, not dragged or forced, but drawn ever more powerfully as I rounded the corner of the house. There was little room between the unkempt bushes and the wooden planks of the house's exterior, but I trailed along in between regardless. Bramble snagged at my dress, scraping long trails of flesh away from the tender skin beneath. My flip-flop straps tangled with weeds and twigs until they simply popped off and fell away, leaving me barefoot as I steadily moved forward. A twisted and discarded stick on the distant ground punctured through the bottom of my right foot. Blood spurted from the wound, but I faltered for just a moment before continuing on. By then, pain was distant and inconsequential. 
My eyes slid along the smooth onyx sheen of the dark windows, one after another, so carefully placed in a row many, many years ago. I should have been afraid of the monster in the night. I knew so in some far-off place in my mind. Yet, I wasn't frightened, not in the least. Surrendering to the pool was my purpose. Just as suddenly as I'd begun the journey, I knew I had arrived. It was the fourth window along the side of the farmhouse. There was a small bed, some chairs, and some lovely kitsch that had been placed by the realty company to make potential buyers feel at home there. But none of that mattered to me. No, I cared about the something else that coiled up inside there, something that was invisible, intangible, but more real than anything I'd ever experienced before. I drew in close, my breath fogging up the glass slightly. I placed both of my hands on the cool pane and peered inside, my soul rising upwards and in pressing against the window. My palms warmed slowly at first, then quickly, wonderfully, blessedly. I nearly squealed with glee as condensation slowly materialized around my fingers as the hands on the other side of the glass met my own. There, there, the hands were there. Fully lost inside my dream, I shifted my gaze from the place our hands met to the expanse between them, the void between two hands where the heart beats and the soul chippers. It pulled. I leaned in. Come to me, I whispered. I'm ready. Slowly, from the darkness it emerged, unfolding and blossoming as ink and water might. It was one with the shadows, but distinct in its existence. The eyes were vacant and empty. Black swaths of cloud, or perhaps spirit, swirled about its face, as if giving form to hair. Its body was immaterial, but feminine in nature, and I knew it so well. Its thoughts reached into my mind, expanding and stretching into the depths. We must have been mates for such a long time. I couldn't remember a world where we would have existed beside one another. And here we were, united again. We drew close, breath of life giving flush to death, with only a single pane of glass between us, a barrier so easily surmounted so easily cracked. We had to be there together. We must always be together. We are forever together. It's delightful here in the shadows between the rays of light. Someday, you might feel me calling to you too. Have you ever felt so drawn to something you'd stop at nothing to get there? Did it make you feel good? Or did it make you feel dead inside? Before we get to our story, I just wanted to say that we would love to have you join our Patreon community. We mostly depend on advertising to create this podcast but we would like to be able to do fewer ads. And you can help make that possible by becoming a patron. Patrons get bonus episodes and access to patrons-only Discord. Most importantly, you will help us keep doing all the work that we do. Visit patreon.com snarled.
In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of the powerful Lachey, inspired by Solar 469 and animated over on youtube.com snarled. When someone feels so passionately about something, it's difficult to make them see your point of view. And if an extremist disagrees with you, there's no telling how far they will go to prove their point. And it might even turn deadly. It wasn't Fraser's first time driving down the windy country roads, but this time it felt different. He was back in Poland to visit his parents in the town he'd grown up in. They were farmers and loved nature, and in fact, couldn't resist the tall and beautiful trees. While the place and the residents were nice enough, they were fairly traditional and certainly believed in the folklore that surrounded the area. They respected nature and they believed in the Leshy. Leshy was a spirit who ruled over the forest and animals. He despised hunters and anyone who attempted to destroy the forests. However, he would leave those alone who cared for nature and helped animals. Since Fraser's parents were farmers, they figured they were on good terms with Leshy. They even kept a massive oil painting of the god in the woods in their front foyer. As a boy, Fraser loved the whimsical painting. As an adult, he found it cringe. Why would anyone believe in some forest deity, he thought. When he decided to move to the States to study carpentry, his parents judged him, stating that Leshy would not approve. This tension was why he came back to visit so rarely. His eyes darted left and right as he drove. He couldn't make out much on the darkened road. It felt eerie without the city lights he was used to. Even the moon was heavily blocked out by the clouds. He knew when he got to his family's house, he would be safer than on the roads. When he arrived, his parents were still waiting for him. The house was full of nature. However, all of this was overshadowed by their biggest piece of decor. There it was, the painting. So detailed and lively. It looked like Leshy could jump right out of the frame. Fraser stared at it for a long time, and even though Leshy was just an oil on a canvas, he could have sworn something seemed off about it. But it had been years since he last saw it. He figured he was just misremembering. Besides, it was just a painting. The next morning, Fraser took a stroll through the old woods he used to play in. He found a beautiful set of crooked pine trees. They had the perfect U-shape and bend for a pair of chairs he was making for a client. With an ax in hand, he went back to the trees to chop them down until he had enough wood he left and got started on his project. That night, on his way to bed, he passed the oil painting. This time there was no denying the painting had changed. Leshy was now peering at him, eyes squinting in anger. He reached out and touched the canvas, desperate to prove Leshy was just a figure painted in oils and nothing more. But when he tried to pull his hand away, he couldn't. It was frozen in place. Then, as if by magic, Leshy began to move. Fraser thought it was a figment of his imagination, but the painted deity 
reached out to Fraser and grabbed him by the wrist. Fraser felt the sharp fingernails dig into his skin. Leshy's face contorted from rage to pleasure as Fraser's skin started to turn brown and his surroundings faded. He was no longer inside the house. All around him were trees as tall as skyscrapers. He went to look back at the painting, but there was no longer a painting. Leshy now stood before him, his rough gray-green skin cracked and covered in moss. His large hand firmly wrapped around Fraser's wrist as his skin became darker and darker brown. Then his whole body became rigid and hard, solid and stable. When Leshy let go, he was now holding on to a branch. Fraser's face adorned the tree, but Leshy still wasn't satisfied. He released Fraser's spirit from the tree's bark and then left, leaving another tormented soul to find his way out of the endless pocket dimension. In the morning, when Fraser's parents woke up, they walked by their shrine to Leshy. They never even noticed a new tree in the background or how pleased the deity looked. Fraser's soul was another addition to his ever-growing reminder to respect nature. If someone doesn't pay attention to the tale of Leshy, they might just be another soul waiting for their demise. To this day, locals believe Fraser's spirit is still trapped in the infinite looping forest. He hasn't stopped walking in the same endless direction, desperately hoping he will one day escape the painting. The endless woods drove him mad. As days went on, he wished he could take it all back, but he can't. He never will. Leshy had gotten his revenge on Fraser, and now it's too late to apologize for his actions. But he's still there, counting the days, walking aimlessly, hoping for an escape that will never come. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.